little white lie may be holding you back. Karen Glasser is here to explain. Plus, in our No Dumb Questions segment, open enrollment right around the corner. So it's the perfect time to make sure that you have a good understanding of what a high deductible plan is and what an HSA is. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table. The best way to teach your kids smart spending habits. All of that today on the 7 Figures Podcast, sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Thank you for being here, carving time out of your very busy day to listen. Yes, life is a bit crazy, especially right now. And who knows what the next curveball is going to be coming your way. But when you have a plan, when you know what's going on with your money, it gives you that much needed sense of control, peace of mind, a feeling of security that no matter what, no matter what that curveball is, everything is going to be okay. And that's the spot where I hope I can help you get to. So let's get started before we talk about your little white lie, which by the way, a lot of us share that same lie. We start the show with no dumb questions. CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management, Erica Cummings is here. Hi, Erica. Hello. All right, this is going to be a challenge for you, I think. Yeah. So when we do it real short, (laughs) when we talk about insurance, it is kind of confusing, but that's why we do it in no dumb questions. So high deductible plans, HSAs, a lot of people have heard that. They know it's an option, but they're not too sure what it means. Can you talk us through it simply? (laughs) Yes, I will try. (laughs) Well, it's actually a timely topic because most people are heading into their open enrollment period where you get to decide. So essentially, there's two types of insurance. You have what we consider to be your typical full coverage. So you pay a premium every month and you have maybe have a copay or deductible, but for the most part, you have full coverage. So on the flip side, years ago, they created what are called high deductible plans because people wanted to be a little bit more in control of their healthcare expenses. HSAs are essentially combined with a high deductible plan. So you have to have one of those insurance plans to qualify for an HSA, which is a health savings account. HSAs are awesome. They have three huge tax benefits. So number one, the money that you put into the health savings account goes in pre-tax. So it's like your traditional 401k where it goes in pre-tax, but it's also like a Roth 401k where it comes out tax-free if it's going towards qualified medical expenses and it grows tax deferred. So it's it's an awesome program if it makes sense for you. Every year there's a limit on what you can put in. So you can't just put all the money in the world in there. And sometimes your employer will match them. So some people look at these as retirement plans because we know that healthcare coverage is not going away and it generally gets more and more expensive the older we get. So you can actually put money aside and consider this kind of retirement if you don't necessarily use it now. Then when you're ready to take that money out, those withdrawals can be completely tax-free if they're for qualifying medical expenses. I'll be honest, I was a little reluctant at first because I didn't understand it. But once I learned that you're paying less out of your paycheck to the actual insurance company, right? The premiums are smaller now. Okay, yes, the doctor's bills, anytime you go to the doctor, that's going to be a bigger bill. But you use this money in the HSA for those visits. If you can get away with actually paying out of pocket for your medical expenses while you're younger. Mm -hmm. This is a great savings vehicle for the future. I, for example, when I had my daughter, I knew we were having a a C-section. 
that was not the year to start a high deductible plan because we knew that our out-of-pocket expenses were going to be far greater than what we, uh, we would have yeah. been able to save. So you want to look at your family. You want to see what your medical expenses are. For people that have pre-existing conditions where their medications are very expensive, sometimes these plans just don't make sense. Uh, but if you if you are a relatively healthy person and your out-of-pocket expenses are not that high, then this can be a great way to save not just for now, but for the future. It's either pay the insurance company or right. pay yourself. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you can get yourself into trouble where you didn't expect to have some type of a huge medical mm. expense. But just remember sure. that every year we have open enrollment. You're only tied to these plans for, for the calendar year. Like I said, when, when well planned, it can be a really great part of your retirement. Okay, perfect. Erica, you got your podcast coming up soon. Yes. Yeah, we should hopefully be rolling out in November. And you can find us at HarmonyFinancialWellness.com. We're also on Facebook. And if you ever need anything, just reach out to me at Erica.Cummings at RBC.com. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. Okay, so have you been thinking about what your little white lie is? That could be holding you back from career success. We'll talk to Karen Glasser next. Stream host of two popular web TV shows, Once Upon a Storytime and Karen Glasser Live. Karen Glasser is here. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Good. Okay, Karen, you are going to get a kick out of this. So as I was prepping for today's interview, you know, doing research, aka stalking your social media, <laughs> here, I, here I am in the bathroom, right? Doing my at-home microdermabrasion thing. <laughs> Looking in the mirror, noticing all my new gray hairs popping up everywhere. I'm feeling like a disaster. And it was like it was sent from the Karen gods. I get the video that pops up on my phone. You talking about your little white lie. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. Karma. Yeah, I know, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you are a riot. After I watched that interview where you were talking about your little white lie, I'm like, I love this woman. Well, you know, I'm who who does what I did. I actually grew my hair out on camera weekly, showing my reveal as my hair became whiter and whiter. Um, it was it was an interesting um, journey, and I loved it, and it changed the trajectory of my career. Actually, what? Okay, so that's what I want to find out about because you even said it so many times in your career that society has created this image that us as women feel like we need to live up to, right? Like when I see a gray hair pop up, I'm devastated for the rest of the night. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's the story we've been fed for a long time. I mean, when I turned 60 after, after coloring my hair for 30 years every two weeks, because my hair grows so fast, mm -hmm. I realized sitting there and talking to my, my uh, camera on a regular basis, talking about being authentic. And in my world, I was definitely not being authentic. I mean, my hair was like black, 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 pitch black, but not real. I mean, it was totally white, white, white. <laughs> so um, once, once I, you know, made the switch and um, started to talk about it, it was like opening the floodgates because you're right, the media, and we can blame the media because the media is what people read, not just women, men too. The media tells us, you know, people with white hair, you're not going to get a job. You're going to look old. You're going to be invisible. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. I mean, really? Mm -hmm. Really? Well, I know with the media now, with social media too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
So how long, by the way, did it take you to grow that out? Because you must have had a lot of awkward moments. Actually, you know, the interesting thing about it, it took me a little under a year again, because my hair grew so fast and has always, but I enjoyed the process. I had this ombre look going on. And in fact, I, I wore it out proudly. I didn't even try to hide it. Um, uh, people would stop me from, from the get-go and say, oh my gosh, how did you do that to your hair? Like I had actually gone out <laughs> and made my hair ombre. It was like, no, 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 I'm old. That's how it <laughs> That's how I would respond. I am old and I am proud. Okay. I am proud. I am proud. And so, I mean, I have pictures of my hair literally growing out. And I, as I said, I did it on camera. So every show, once a week, I'd put my head down and I go, it's time for the reveal, everyone. Oh and I, would, my gosh. It would, I have a video of my hair growing out, literally, that's been snipped all together of my hair starting from completely black to the beautiful silver that it is today. Yes, and you do. You rock it. You look great. But Thank you. And see, that's the little white lie that a lot of us have in common. Um, now, yeah. when you were just you, is that when the success really started to ramp up? It did, and I don't know if it's just because of the hair. I think that at the at that point, when we decide, any of us decide to do something that is so visually and visibly different than who people think they know you are, um, you become very vulnerable because people feel it's okay to say whatever the heck they want to say. You know, that's social media. I'm yeah. just going to talk and I'm going to say stuff. And so by me, who has always been in, a, in, a, in the limelight for many, many, many years, for me to be able to step forward and say, hey, this is the real me. This is, I did feel invisible when I went to Las Vegas the first time out. I did feel this way. But you know what? We're all going through this. And the minute I did that and I became vulnerable to my audience, mm -hmm. it was like I had turned a light switch on. They wanted to have more of what I was doing. I, I just think of the people in the workplace environment where the new kid, and it, it's terrible to say this out loud, but you see the new kid come in on board and, uh, you know, especially nowadays where companies are looking to cut costs, the new kid's cheaper and you're looking right. at yourself like, oh God. Exactly. I but I think it's a story we tell ourselves. I really do with the story that we tell ourselves because that's what we've been taught for so many years. So our mindset is, well, that must be true because I've been hearing this over and over again. And I'm one, I'm here to say it's not true. It's how you show up. Age is not a number. It's how you show up in life. So even though I'm going to be 64 next month and I, I'm already telling, I've been telling people I'm 64 for the past six months. That's oh always my been. God. Have you really? I have. It's just for me to be, I mean, oh, honestly, I love it. it's just a number for me. It's not even just a number. It's my attitude. I, I have this, you know, anyone really knows me. It's yeah. like, a, don't watch me. Don't tell me I can't do something because of my age or because of my hair and because of the way I'm dressed or, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm old with new technology. So that really is what how the little white lie evolved. My white lie was my hair, but all of us have these little lies yeah. that we hide behind, right? Well, it's funny because, and I just got to... I just got to embrace it like you have. And I just got to watch more of your videos because my kids will call me out when somebody, for whatever reason, we're talking about age and uh, I'll say my age, my kids will call me out and be like, ma, you are not that age. You are. I'm like, okay, can you be quiet, please? <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. So you know what I'm so impressed about too? Technology is what it is. It's, it's what we have to embrace, but some of us, it's a struggle. Now, you are all over technology, social media. I am. I am. I'm a little bit of a geek. Okay, maybe a lot of bit of geek. 
but I've been doing this a long time before it was really a thing. I've been live streaming since the early 90s. Think about that for a minute. Most people were still on dial-up at that point. Oh, um, I might be dating myself when I say that. But back in the 90s when we were we were lucky enough just to have something that was other than a flip phone, right? Yeah. Um, uh, back in those days when I took a job, I'm a retired clergywoman, and I was with the synagogue who, when I walked in with my laptop, um, they didn't know what that was. Uh, they didn't even have computers. They had um, typewriters and word processors. And within one year of being there, I realized that we were missing the boat. And there were a lot of people, a lot of shut-ins, a lot of uh, seniors that couldn't come to temple, could not come for services. And so I said, wouldn't it be cool if we could take our services live and stream them? I don't even know where that word came from, but it was a word I used, stream them into uh, retirement homes and hospital rooms so that people, we could bring our services there. And that we did that back in the early nineties. Wow. So fast forward today, right? We have our Facebook, you push a button, boom, you're live. It's all about technology and it's all about not being afraid of it. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, it's very scary, especially in these days when we've got everybody now being thrust into the technology world, because sure. that's the only way we can stay in touch for many of us. Right. So we're having to learn technology. How do you make yourself feel comfortable with the video conferencing? Because that's one thing that still a lot of people are uncomfortable. But we're like you said, we're we're thrown into it. We have no right. other choice. You know, I, I, I like to say, and, and I'm known for saying this, when somebody says, I hate the way I look on camera, and it's like, get out, get over yourself. You look exactly how you look. Really, you look exact. When people look at you, whether it's on a camera or whether it's in live, that's the face they see. So it's that's your own personal mindset, and it takes practice. When I first started doing this, I am I allowed to say I sucked? I sucked. I was terrible. I mean, I was terrible. I, I was very... Um, stilted. I, I moved weird in front of the camera and I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing until I could look at myself and say, oh, look, I can see a, a wrinkle there or there's that. And, you know, we go to that. So it's just practice. It really yeah. is practice and not trying to um, make yourself feel so bad because you don't know how to do this the first time out. Yeah, that's true. We do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect the first time around. Exactly. <laughs> what? I, I thought it was very interesting when you and I were talking a little bit before when we were setting up this interview, your money story, what got you to that point where, you know, that aha moment for you when it when it comes to the relationship with money? Well, you know, I think my money story is really simple. And I think a lot of women in particular have this story is that until you, you know, and value your own worth that we tend to give it all away, our knowledge, our expertise, our, our, even our soul, because, uh, you know, we think that somehow you can't, you can't be of service and also make money at the same time. And that's what I did for many, many years. Look, I, I have made every mistake in the book and I have risen again. You know, so over the years that resulted in me like feeling used and taken advantage of, even though it was on me, I'm the one who set it up that way. I didn't know how to ask to be paid for what I was giving away. But once I really took a, a look at myself and said, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a pattern here. <laughs> Let's start connecting those dots. You know, I now charge for my services. I know that sounds so silly. Of course you charge for your services, but I wasn't before. Yeah. I wasn't before. So I, I'm realizing that you can actually charge. But the way I can support people is by giving them way more than they expected to get. And that way I feel respected because I'm being, I'm stepping up to the game, but I'm still getting paid. And so I feel respected. Does this, okay, now I hope this isn't a weird question to ask you, but your time working at the, the synagogue, was that it? Because when you're in that 
spiritual religious world, it's almost all about give, give, give. Yeah, but it, but the difference with that was is that it was it, I'll, I'll say it was a job. I got paid a monthly salary to be the the clergywoman, the cantor of the synagogue, and so for 16 years I didn't worry about money because I, I was going to get paid no matter what. So I was able to give, 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 and keep on giving and giving and giving. So my money story really started after that when I left the congregation in 2010 and realized I didn't know what I was going to do next, and how do I charge? what I, I don't even think I'm valuable at this point. We, you know, we all feel, we go through that fraud imposter syndrome thing, you know, do I really have value? And so I just started giving my, my knowledge away, which people would say, Oh my God, I can't believe how much you're, you're sharing with me. And I would say to myself, yeah, wow. And then I'd walk away and say, they just took advantage of me, (laughs) but I'm the one who set it up that way. Okay. All right. I think that when you said that everybody was nodding along, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, because it's an it's not a tangible product here. I'm selling. Yeah. I'm giving you this. Now, obviously, you pay for it. Right. You were giving something that wasn't tangible. So how did you put a value on it? How do you put a price tag on that? Well, you know, believe it or not, I didn't up until about um, maybe the beginning of the year when this whole craziness started. Mm. Um, and it was at that point that as I was. I was providing this value. I do live streams. I do a show called Once Upon a Storytime, and it, it was providing really a lot of um, respite for parents who had their kids home all the time, right? And I was doing something really, really good. And then the authors were coming to me, and they were saying, oh, my gosh, I have 20,000 views because I was on your show, and what am I supposed to do now? And I would then sit and take my time for a couple of hours and show them what to do instead of saying, you know, you can hire me. And I started to feel resentful again, and I literally stopped it. I nipped it in the bud. I, I could I could actually feel it, maybe because I'm locked in my house and I have a lot of time on my hands um, to really examine it. And I started realizing I really do have something of value. I really do have something that people want. And so um, I literally changed my entire business model around that and now have programs that are set up literally within this last six months that are set up around what I do and people are buying it there. It's like, and that's, you want to kick yourself and say, geez, I should have done this years ago. Right. But it's, a, I get, I'm now in a different position. Now I can turn stuff down and only take the stuff that I want. Oh, that feels good. Yeah, very much so. That's a good spot to be in. Where can we find you and follow you and help support you? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, they, we have two different websites where all of my live shows live, as I'd like to say, ad nauseum, forever and ever and ever and ever. They can go to karenglasser.live, and that's Karen with a C. Or they can go to my storytelling site where you can binge watch with your kids, and that's onceuponastorytime.live. It is very cute. I love it. I love everything you're doing, and thank you. Um, I will not be showing me growing out my hair. <laughs> As much as you inspire me, I'm not sure if I'm I'm ready for that moment yet. <laughs> that's okay. You be you, really. You be you, and that's that's really what the message is. We should all be just. We should be us, not I somebody. I love else. it. Thank you, Karen. You are so welcome. Have a great, great rest of the day. Get ready to take a seat at the kids' table. The best way to teach your kids smart spending habits. Right after this. Now we grab a chair and take a seat at the kids' table with our money expert, CEO, Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham. How are you? I am well, Sandy. How are you doing? 
doing good. All right, today is an important one. This is definitely something they're not teaching our kids in school. So it's up to us to teach our kids about smart spending habits. Before we get your advice for parents, Susan, let's check in with the kids and see what they think. What is an example of something you think it was smart to spend money on? I think it was smart to spend money on all these crafts so I would have something to do through the winter. Is there anything that you regret spending money on? I regret spending money on this yo-yo that you can throw around and I broke the TV with it so I regret using it. <laughs> what is an example of something you feel was a smart purchase? Like like I should get something that I would use a lot. That's something that I would just throw out. And have you ever bought anything that you use a lot that you felt proud? Yes, that was yes. a good decision. Yes. What? I bought this toy truck that you could put like candy in and stuff. And like you could haul stuff. And I really like that. What's an example of something that you feel was a smart purchase? Something you're glad you bought. I'm glad that you bought um, the American Girl Dot Travel set with me. What about something that you regret spending money on? Maybe something we shouldn't have bought. Like ice cream, because that's like really sweet. She broke the TV with the (laughs) yo-yo. That was my favorite one. I have great empathy for her because I am not good with a yo-yo. So I totally understand what happened there. I know. Oh, too funny. All right. So how do we teach our kids? What are little things that we can do to teach them about smart spending habits? Well, you know, I'm always amazed at the amount of money that kids spend. So if you look at the data, it tells you that kids spend billions. And that's with a, a B. And most of it is money that they get their parents to spend on their behalf. That's called influenced spending. Like the gal who said, I'm glad you bought the American Girl Trample set. (laughs) So right now, not only do we need to teach kids how to be smart spenders, but at the same time, parents listen up because this is probably going to save you some money. So if you want to teach your kid to be a smart spender, Start by asking them to make a list, paper, pencil, start listing things that they want or need, have them write it down, then give them a highlighter, tell them prioritize the list, highlight, highlight the most important thing on the list so that every time they're with you and they're out shopping and they say, I want, I need, could you get, you can turn to them and say, do you have your list? Is this number one on your list? If not, why not? Because a smart spender recognizes that they have spending choices. And then suggest to them, give the gimmies a timeout. So I mean, this works for adults too. If you could just wait 24 hours, sometimes, sometimes in that waiting period, you decide, no, I didn't really need it. No, I didn't really want it. So in the 24 hours, say, if you give the gimmies a timeout, so if we stop, take a look at our list, it's not on the top. How about if we go home and we talk about a plan? We take a look at the list, we add it to the list. Um, Let's make a, a plan to purchase this item you're talking about. Nine times out of 10, it's not something they really wanted or needed. 
and it won't even make the list when you get back home. Okay. And you know what? This same exact scenario you said could play out when you're teaching your kids about budgets, you know, making a list, highlighting, prioritizing. So this is another way we can use that lesson. Exactly. I would have never thought of positioning it that way, I guess, saying, well, it, it, it hasn't been a priority in your mind up until this very moment. So maybe we should wait. And you're right. And it's an opportunity to give them practice. And the more they pr practice, success breeds success. So the more they make a list, the more they prioritize, the more they have this epiphany, oh, it's not number one on my list. So why do I all of a sudden need it? Uh, yeah. The more that they have to actually work for whatever it is that they uh, have this spontaneous desire for, the more they can decide, is this really something I want to put my work into to get? Now, as they get older and develop a better understanding of the value of money, is it smart to say, well, let's do a price check first? We got to shop around a little bit. Oh my gosh, that was, you're so good. That was the perfect segue to the fourth tip for being a smart spender. Compare prices. I tell them, be a price detective. Okay. See if there are better times than others to buy what you want, like maybe buying a bike at the end of summer, sales, coupons, even things that are gently used can be better choices to help you get what you want at the best price. Your trash is my treasure. You've heard that. All of these tips, make a list, prioritize, giving the gimmies a timeout, comparing prices, they're all tools to delay gratification. They're all ways that allow you not to feel like you're being deprived. They're concrete steps towards getting what you want. Now, what if it's a small dollar amount purchase? Can you still go through those same steps as if, you know, what if it is just a yo-yo? Do you still follow this same system? Yeah, because you see it as just a yo-yo. But a kid, that's a big deal. It's a big item. They don't say, oh, it's only a buck or two, so why not? A dollar, two dollars, five dollars is still five dollars closer to maybe a fifteen dollar video game. So you have to remember to look at these things through their eyes. And if you don't want them to buy junk, then don't help them buy junk. Oh, that was a nice way to end this one. Susan, thank you for the advice. Where can we uh, reach out to you if you want to learn if we want to learn more? You can find me at susanbeecham.com. And you can find our tools and products at moneysavvy.com. So much good stuff. Let me know if there's a topic you ever want us to cover in No Dumb Questions, if there's a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, today's Money Victory shout out goes to Rachel Knight refinanced my student loans, she said, and over the last year increased my credit score over 100 points. Cheers to you, Rachel, and to every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figures Podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.